On today's show, should the Houston Rockets trade for Ime Odoka's former center with the Boston Celtics, Robert Williams? Plus, has Jalen Green finally turned a corner? And if he has, should the Rockets sell high on him or keep him long-term to see what he can ultimately turn into? We're going to unpack it all coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Shingun here in the short row. Oh, Mike, that's the no look. Jabari for three on the win. Yeah! Look at Tarisen. Here comes Tarisen. No! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six. Five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including YouTube. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for being an everyday or making the show part of your day every single day. Joining us now is none other than your weekly co-host, the Podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor and host of the Logger Line podcast, Ben Dubose. You can track down on Twitter at Ben Dubose here because we've got a lot to talk about. A lot of trade rumors, a lot of trade scuttlebutt floating around out there as we approach the NBA trade deadline. And one of the names that the Houston Rockets might be showing some interest in is Robert Williams, former center during Ime Udoka's days with the Boston Celtics. I believe Chris Haynes originally reporting that there's some interest there in Ime Udoka potentially being reunited with his big man from his days in Boston. And this is the name that, you know, some Rockets fans have shown interest in as the season has moved along. Now it's worth noting that Robert Williams is out for the year. This this would, this is not a play that's going to help the Rockets this season. This would be kind of a move where you're not necessarily punting on this season, but with the assets that the Rockets have on hand, the expiring deals of Victor Oladipo and and effectively what is an expiring deal in Jock Landale, it, should they decide to use him as basically an aggregatable traded player exception, um, you could make the math work on a deal and bring back Robert Williams' time lord and, and have him, you know, if you're confident that the medicals can get to a place where you actually feel good about him, maybe not in a starting role and playing that <clears throat> heavy load of starters minutes, but in a reserve role, maybe that's, uh, you know, an area where you'd be less concerned about his body holding up over the course of an 82-game season plus a postseason run, which it hasn't been able to do, unfortunately. Yeah, I saw David Weiner, Bima Thog on Twitter slash X, point out that you could offer a protected first round pick, which is what I would be inclined to do. Try and make sure you get lottery protection or at least top 10 protection, because given the injury history, I would be extremely reluctant to give up potentially a top 10 pick from Brooklyn for Robert Williams. With that said, if you could give yourself some insurance for scenarios where the Brooklyn pick ends up a really good asset, then would I be interested Sure. He's just 26 years old. He's played well for Ime Udoka before. He's done it in a winning environment for a Boston team that went to the NBA Finals. Now, the injury concerns are real, but that's what you pay a medical staff to go through. So do you check out his medicals? Sure. But if 
they come to the conclusion that once this heals and he reports to training camp next season, that he would be looked at as similar to any other player on the roster in terms of injury risk, then of course I'd be interested in someone who, again, is just 26 years old and has proven it as opposed to someone you might draft this summer that would probably be a couple of years away from contributing at a winning level. And there's risk with any draft pick with Robert. He's done it. This is a proven commodity. So, the injury I questions go Ro- without saying. I, I think the Rockets could get him without even giving up a pick, though, because when you look at the situation, I don't know about that. See, that's and that's the harder part, right? Is he's a guy that's he's had the injury issues. He's got the there's the injury risk, all that, but he's also under contract for the rest of the season and two more years on top of yes. that. So. I do wonder if there's a world where maybe you could get Robert Williams either just because the Blazers want to offload that salary and there is some like inherent value in being able to give them, you know, salary relief as kind of a an asset in a trade. So the expiring deals by themselves would be kind of be the asset. And it's just, you know, not a one for one swap, but, you know, Robert Williams for I guess you could do straight up Robert Williams for Jock Landale, call it a day or Robert Williams for Victor Oladipo and call it a day. Now, that might not be enough, but I would definitely not give up the Brooklyn Nets pick, even even with protections on it, lottery protected, top 10 protected. I don't think I'd go that far. Well, what David was Williams. saying with the protections was that if those protections kicked in, then you would give up two second run picks. And if you were to lottery protect it, then I think the odds are pretty high that Brooklyn is going to miss the playoffs this season, which would make that a lottery pick. And then at that point, you'd be giving up two seconds. Now, would Portland do that deal? I don't know, but in the small chance that Brooklyn makes the playoffs and that pick is in the back 15 of what's considered a pretty weak first round of the 2024 draft, I think I'd give that up because, look, I do not think Robert Williams, even with his injury history, is viewed as a negative asset that Brooklyn or or that Portland, excuse me, would want to offload. He's going to be making less than $13 million on average the next two years, which is a below average rate. And this is someone that as recently as the 2022 playoffs was playing a key role for a really good team. And it's just 26 years old. So I do not buy the notion that they're they're just going to be looking to shed salary here. No, if they move him, it's because they view it as a chance to be opportunistic and get a real asset. And so that goes into, well, would they actually do that? protected deal that uh, David Weiner threw out. I don't know. And if it's more than that, then I agree with you. I would not go to the lengths of, you know, potentially giving up a top 10 pick. That's just way too risky for a guy with his injury history. I get it. If that's the cost, I would just roll the dice on one of these big men in the draft for all the stuff about 2024 being a weak draft. It does have a lot of good depth centers that you could plug into that hole behind Alper and Shingun. So I would not mortgage a lot. I think um, David was also mentioning the potential of perhaps acquiring both Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon, two guys the Rockets could have interest in and reports have said are interested in Jake Fisher linking the Rockets to Brogdon from the same team in Portland. So maybe it's a two birds, one stone thing. But in a vacuum, given the fact that Robert Williams has done it in the playoffs, he's done it for Ime Udoka. He actually has ties to Houston, played his college ball at Texas A&M. So there's familiarity with the area. I suspect he would want to be here. If the medical team clears him, to me, there's enough lining up to where I would give up, you know, some asset. Let's just not get crazy with, you know, an unprotected Brooklyn pick or anything like that. And I do think when you when you 
lay it out that way. If you could put some heavy protections on the Brooklyn pick and have it turn into, you know, a couple seconds or whatever, if it doesn't convey down the line, then I'd be more inclined to do the trade if that's kind of what it looks like. But that's, I, I'm glad you bring up the point of maybe getting a package deal back, Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams, because then it's, you get, you get a guy who is an immediate impact guy who does help the team right here, right now at, at a kind of, I wouldn't necessarily say a position of need, but, you know, he provides uh, a skill set that this Rockets team desperately needs, having an additional, you know, backup ball handler, someone who can run and initiate the offense, added shooting, another veteran presence, all those things that Malcolm Brogdon provides. I think that would be huge. But then I I just don't know if the Rockets have enough workable salary to get up to what it would cost because Brogdon's making $22.5 million. Uh, Robert Williams is making eleven five this season. So... You'd need to get up to what? That's thirty-three million. You'd need to get close to that, um, and I don't In, know into if this... the mid mid to upper twenties. Actually, think you could. The bigger question is whether Portland could create the necessary roster spots. But if you combined Landale, Oladipo, and one of Jayshon Tate or Jeff Green, then you're going to be in the mid twenties, and you're going to be close enough at that point. I the don't think you can do is, Jeff Green. You can't do Jeff Green if you're not getting a serviceable big back because he's effectively your backup five. Yeah, okay, then Jay Sean Tate. But the point is, you could get to the mid twenties. There's also other deals you could make. You know, you might could, you know, get a a flyer into a trade exception to help fill the backup center role for this season, since Robert Williams would be for a future year. But the point is, at least from a math standpoint, the Rockets can get there. The bigger question is, and this is why a lot of trades happen in the offseason, Portland would have to clear three or four roster spots. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I guess in this case, it'd be a little bit easier because we'd be talking three for two, four for two. But yeah, it wouldn't be an apples to apples. So could they clear the roster spots? Maybe, I guess you could also rope in a third or fourth team, but that's what makes it, while not impossible, it's more difficult during the season because you do have to navigate roster spots in a way you don't in the offseason when you can have up to 21 guys. And you'd also imagine that the guys that they are bringing in that are effectively expiring deals, right? Jock Landale, Victor Oladipo, those guys could be guys that would probably be maybe waived right away. Maybe a guy like Jay Sean Tate has some value where maybe they would bring him in in a trade and then look to maybe flip him to another team if there's still enough time and it's not one of those uh, trade deadline buzzer beaters um, where they've maybe got some time to either rope in a third team or or do something, but there are, there is something there. And I do think that if you were able to get a permutation of that trade where it includes Brogdon and uh, Robert Williams, then I'd be inclined to remove or or weaken some of those protections on the Brooklyn pick. Uh, You know, I don't know how far we're going, like maybe top four protections, top six. Uh, I don't know what you would get into there, but I like the idea, and I hope it's something that Rafael Stone and the Rockets explore because I do think there is uh, some merit to that trade. But there is some other trade scuttlebutt around the association centered around a guy who maybe is proving that he shouldn't be in these trade discussions in the first place, Jalen Green. We're going to talk about if he has found a new version of himself, if he's turned a corner, uh, and what that kind of means as we approach the NBA trade deadline with some possible uh, buzz circulating around his name. We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each and every week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Josh has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. And the first name that we've got on our list is Josh Hart. Hart should be a big winner due to the Julius Randle injury and could be seeing gigantic minutes for 
multiple weeks. We know Tom Thibodeau is a guy that likes to rely on his veterans. He's a big Josh Hart guy, and Josh Hart could absolutely see a major uptick in his minutes. The other name you got to be on the lookout for, Aaron Neesmith. Neesmith has been posting big numbers as of late with defensive numbers and improved efficiency on a team that alters their rotation often. He feels like a relatively safe pick. Now, Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to help you win your fantasy championship, and eBay Motors knows that a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit, the same as with your vehicle with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. You can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your car needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And continuing on here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, Jalen Green, fresh off of what I believe and what many are calling the best game of his NBA career against the Los Angeles Lakers, 34 points, 12 boards, seven dimes, career high, 12 boards, led the team in that category, well, tied Alperen Shingun in that category. You know, Ben, it feels like the approach has been a little bit different for Jalen over these last few games. So before we get into some of the reported rumblings about whether the Rockets are looking to move on from, let's kind of tackle this. You know, does it, it kind to me, it kind of feels like this is something different than what we've seen before. Yes. Because we've seen the flash in the pan success with Jalen. We've seen him have a hot shooting night. This feels different because this kind of feels like there are sustainable elements to the play that we've seen over these last handful of games. It, the rebounding feels very intentional, very different. It's something that Ime Odoka spoke about post-game that, they, that they've worked with Jalen Green on specifically. So has Jalen turned a corner? Is he Or is he in the process of turning the corner? And if so, does that mean that the Rockets should retract any feelers that they've maybe put out there, or we can get into the discussion of, does this mean they should try and sell high on Jalen green ahead of the trade deadline? If that's the case. Yeah. So I'll start with the basketball before we transition to the trade stuff, because that's a lot to unpack in one answer. Sure. What I will say from a basketball standpoint, it's important to note that this is now a four game stretch. It started with that Wednesday game, that first half he had against Portland, which felt like, and to some extent was the dawning of a new era, at least in the confines of this season. But nobody wanted to really talk about it post game because, of course, that was a brutal loss, a game they had no business losing. But he carried it over into the weekend in Charlotte and Brooklyn and then backed it up Monday against the Lakers with just an insanely good performance. And a few days ago, I was talking to a mutual friend of ours and the Rockets fan community, and he asked me, what would need to happen over the back half of the season? Because we're basically at the midway point or were as of last week, uh, what would need to happen for us to feel significantly different about Jalen's long-term outlook relative to what we think about it or did think about it a week ago when most of us were fairly down on him. It's been an underwhelming season. We've talked about that ad nauseum throughout the year. And for me, what I kept coming back to, it's an interesting thought exercise and I keep going back to there's got to be something different to the formula because we've seen these stretches throughout his first two and a half years in the NBA where he gets hot. We know he can do that. But at this point, it's tough to see it being consistent if that's the formula. If it's still 
the same shot diet, the same approach that he's had the first two and a half years. Sure, he'll have a couple of weeks where he catches fire. But how do you have confidence that he's not going to regress into what we've seen, you know, particularly in December when he was really awful? He He has some weeks where he's great. He has other weeks where he's just awful. And that's the maddening inconsistency, not just in terms of execution, but even his mental approach at times. That's defined his first two and a half years. And Yes, it's typical of young players, but now you're three with the proven head coach in Ime Udoka. This is a time in which he needs to start, you know, showing signs that he's evolving and that he's putting that stuff behind him. And hopefully that's what the last week is. And when you look at how he's putting together these games, what really impresses me is that you are seeing some changes. He's averaging 6.8 free throws per game over these last four. That's way up from about four and a half. That was his average going into this stretch. We've talked a lot throughout this season about year two, the one clear step forward for him. He got to 6.1 free throws per game. And then for whatever reason, that fell off. Now, not only over the past week has he gotten it back, he's actually taken it to another level at 6.8. That's small. It's just four games. But if it continues, that is something different from the formula. I also look because it certainly feels like he's being more aggressive and the free throw attempts reflect that, but also the amount of two point shots to three point shots for the season as a whole before this stretch, he was at about 45, 46% of his shot attempts per game being threes over the past week. That's trickled down to about 40%. And it may actually be lower because a lot of those two-point shots he's attempted don't actually count as shot attempts if he draws fouls and doesn't make the shot. So if anything, because he's driving so much, it might even be a little lower than 40% because he's taking more twos. It's just the field goal attempts don't reflect it because he's getting free throws and the shot doesn't count when he misses it. So he's taking more twos. He's getting to the free throw line more. And yeah, to be an absolute star, he probably needs to be you know, a high-volume three-point guy that's just sort of par for the course in the modern NBA. But at this point, I don't trust his shot mechanics yet. It's been a pretty long sample, two and a half years, where he has not shot threes at a super high level to where I'm not going to say that with time he can't become an elite shooter, but if he suddenly starts shooting like 45 or 50% from three for a couple of weeks, I don't buy it that on the fly he's just figured out the shooting and now he's going to be a clearly above average guy. No, to me, the shooting is more of a longer term goal. Maybe two, three years down the line, he becomes a clearly above average. Maybe he can even get to an elite level. But for now, it's sort of uh, average at best, you know, a little bit above average. It's not a clear strength just yet. What is a clear strength is his power, his explosion, his burst. The reads have gotten better this year. He does, when he's focused and aggressive, have a unique ability to draw contact because, you know, he can get to spots that a lot of even guards can't get to because he's not that quick, not that explosive. And so the fact that he's using those skills more and the data clearly supports that he is, to me, while it's a small sample, I get it, it's at least a material change to the formula. It's not like there was one game at the end of December, right after Christmas. Remember when they got blown out by Phoenix, the game where Eric Gordon went off, he went six to 12 from three that game. I remember, I remember seeing those threes and I remember getting even pushback in the recap for that episode because people were like, he went six of 12 from three. Why are you unhappy? I was like, cause they they did. He got hot. Like that's what it was. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was the same diet. the, The step back threes. It's just for one game. They happened to go in. At this point, no, I do not think that 
on the fly in a matter of a week or two. I, you know, I love Ben Sullivan, but no, I don't think Ben Sullivan is so good that he's just going <laughs> to, you know, snap his fingers and just one day, oh, we've turned Jalen Green and Steph Curry. No, that's not how it works. That's not saying that Jalen can't get better as a shooter, but at this point to make a dramatic improvement to where he's clearly above average, maybe even bordering on elite, that's yours. In terms of what he can do to be a better player the rest of this season and next season, it's going to be harnessing the tools that he has today and using them in a better manner. And so when you look under the hood and you see that he's taking more twos, that he's getting the free throw line more, I'm not going to say for sure that this will work. Time will tell, but at least it's a different formula. And for me to go back you know, to take it full circle to the question that was posed to me, that's what I would need to be open to thinking that maybe Jalen Green has figured it out. And going into the offseason, if he sustains this saying, hey, it's not just a random hot stretch, that he actually did figure something out that he's going to carry into year four. If it's not just, oh, he starts randomly making more shots, but he actually changes his approach and leans into some different things, changes the formula, the shot diet, whatever you want to call it, if all that happens, and we should also note, aside from scoring, there was a great quote from Ime Udoka postgame after the Lakers game about uh, the rebounding, which has really improved over the last week. He had a career-high 12 against the Lakers, and Ime said they put together a montage of clips where Jalen was just basically sitting and watching, and they called him out. Sounded like, remember the old like James Harden Vine videos from back in the day? Yeah. And he sort of got publicly shamed, bullied, whatever you want to call it, into trying harder. It sounds like that's what the Rockets did in their film work with Jalen. And to this point, it's working. And he has the type of athleticism and vertical that he should be able to get some of those mid-range rebounds. And so that's another thing, if he can lean into that. Bottom line is, can he change the formula, change the approach to where it's not just him getting hot like the Phoenix game, but he's actually materially changing the way he's going about his business on the court on a day-in, day-out basis? If that continues, then yes, he's still young enough. You're three, 21 years old to where I could potentially buy in. Not going to do it 100% yet because it's just four games, but the path is there. That just means if if Emo Doka is calling out Jalen Green in practice, that just means he's a hater. Um, <laughs> no, I, I kid. Look, I think that when you see the, the this style of approach, like I, I've been told before in talking to some assistant coaches and, and you know, um, members around the team, just that that Jalen is a guy that they wanted at one point in time to get be getting, you know, 10 to 12 threes up per game. And that's because this is a Rockets organization that has, pr- you know, prided itself on being analytically focused and wanting to take the, 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 the highest quality shots in the game. And obviously threes are those shots. But if that's not who you are as a player, it's trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And it's never felt like that is who Jalen is as a player. And so I think the mold for Jalen, right, the recipe for success for Jalen is potentially something along the lines of a De'Aaron Fox, Ja Morant kind of hybrid, right? Neither of those guys are afraid of taking threes. Fox and Morant will gladly take three-pointers when the defense gives them to them. And they are respected enough shooters that it does open up the rest of their game. But the three ball isn't their primary weapon, right? Those guys like yes. to get downhill. They leverage their scoring gravity into playmaking reps for their teammates. Like, like that is, I think, the recipe for success. Not to say that Jalen Green's future is as a, a lead guard, primary ball handler, point guard, whatever you want to call it in today's NBA, but at least that style of approach, that style of offensive approach, emulating a De'Aaron Fox and slash or a John Morant, especially when you see kind of the 
athleticism, you know, similarities between Jalen and Ja. You look at the way those two guys are kind of built. Um, if Jalen can start kind of taking little elements from their game and building upon that, then I do think there is a a pathway for sustain, sustained success to where you just change yeah. the approach, you change the shot profile around a little bit, and then you've got a guy who you you feel confident about has found a way to be a consistent offensive force, not just a guy who has to get hot in a given game. And when he gets, yeah. and when he gets hot, he's incredibly hot, right? Like we've seen the highs They're They're impressive, but it's about finding a way for him to be consistently effective offensively. Even if the three ball is not falling, right? He had that one game, which, uh, which game it was the Charlotte game where the three ball wasn't yeah. falling in that game. He was like one of six, one of seven from three, Yeah, but he was attacking downhill. He's still he got at 36 the and three line. quarters. Yeah. It even not making threes. It didn't matter because the rest of the game was consistent enough and reliable enough that, Hey, three balls, not falling. Cool. No worries. Yeah. I'm going to still take advantage of what I can do. And I know we've got to hit the break, so I'll be quick on this. I, I think the Rockets at this point have to consider the floor scenarios more when they're looking at Jalen Green, the player in year three. The last couple of years, it was fine to be idealistic because the seasons were sort of experimental anyway, and he's young enough to where you're not going to be out of the Jalen Green business no matter what he does the first couple of years. So I think, you know, in an ideal world for him to actually be a superstar at some point, he probably does need to hit threes at high volume. And so I think they've tried to make him that guy. Well, the thing is, you know, people on social media got so much flack for comparing him to like Jordan Clarkson types. Well, the thing you've got to consider by the time you get into year three, year four, there are absolutely worst case scenarios than Jordan Clarkson. You could just be not a good player, period. And so even if the shot diet you know, dialing back the threes to an extent at this point in time might make it more difficult for him to be a true star in the NBA. You're at a point now where you've got to start considering the floor scenarios. And I would say, even if, you know, it makes him closer, at least now he's more athletic than Jordan Clarkson, but it, you know, makes him more of sort of a good, but not great player in terms of his ceiling. That's okay. You're at a point now where he just needs to prove that he can be a productive player on a consistent basis. Now, maybe in time, he can build up that three-point shot to where you get back to some of those more idealistic models that you know involve him scoring you know 30 points per game on high volume from three. But we're deep enough into his career now, and habits really count now that you're in a contending environment under, or at least trying to win environment, not yet contending, but trying to get there under Ime Udoka. You've really got to consider not just the ceiling but the floor and at this point i think it's got to start by making him simply a productive player on a night in night out basis someone that you know what you're going to get and even if that caps his ceiling just a little bit in the short term that's fine just build confidence in him build confidence in the coaching staff that they can trust him just make him consistently a good player and then as time progresses, maybe the shooting can come along to where then you can dial up the three-point shot to where you can eventually nudge the true shooting, you know, make him a true shooting merchant like some of the, you know, elite guards of this era. Point is, you can get to that in time. At this point, we're deep enough into his career. What we saw the first half of the year, that cannot continue. That's just too damning. You've got to at least go back to, to some degree to basics. Let's just get him started on the path of consistently being good. And then as far as optimizing the shot profile and making and taking more threes, we can get to, to that down the road. It doesn't have to be solved right now. Let's just make the floor a lot higher than it's been the first half of this season. And if they can do that, then that'd feel a lot better going into year four. 
Coming up, we're going to get into the trade, the recent trade rumors brought up by Zach Lowe on his podcast about Jalen Green and whether the Rockets are, you know, potentially fielding calls, looking to maybe try to make a move with him ahead of this year's NBA trade deadline. We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates to choose from. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and super easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, on the latest Zach Lowe podcast, the Lowe Post, Zach Lowe and uh, noted Rockets fan Cheney Ogumake were talking about Jalen Green. And Zach mentioned that he's hearing a little bit of buzz from agents and league sources that Jalen Green might be kind of a surprise, in some eyes, trade candidate ahead of the NBA trade deadline. Now, Cheney kind of talked about the fact that Jalen, you know, might not actually be a lock to be a part of the Houston Rockets kind of young core moving forward. And I think where we're at, right, when the reason we we set up the show this way to talk about has Jalen turned a corner, what what is he doing before we got into this trade discussion is, you know, if organizationally you feel confident that you have found a recipe for success, at least here in the short term for Jalen Green, as you as you pointed out, Ben, right? A higher floor level scenario for Jalen Green to have success, then to me, it doesn't make sense to 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 trade Jalen Green unless you're getting back unless he's like the the crown jewel of like a big trade, right? Like a splashy trade for an established star player, a disgruntled star, whatever, if you wanted to move him for, you know, a Donovan Mitchell or a Lori Markinen or something like that, then by all means, because that's the kind of swing trade that you make that that immediately launches you from being a play and hopeful to a more more than likely a playoff lock at that point. Or you would hope that that's the kind of trade that launches you into that upper echelon of competition in the NBA. So at least as it stands right now, I mean, for Jalen to be moved, like I, I we, we've talked about this before, it doesn't. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of conflicted because I feel like. I feel like this next stretch of like two weeks, you know, less than a little under two weeks, whatever these next handful of games, three, four games that the Rockets have are going to be really important because it's kind of like it's either a Jalen Green is auditioning. And, you know, if he's putting up these massive numbers, is this good for the Rockets? And should they look to trade him while his value is at an all time high or is it something where you look at his new newfound production? You say, no, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna stand pat on trading Jalen Green because we actually think this is something that we can build on long term. For me, it's actually I, I look at it from the opposite view. It's pretty simple for me. Unless he's viewed at a high level, I don't think this is the time that you trade him. Simply because I don't think there's anything he can do over the next week or two that would materially change 
his trade value because he's had these stretches before. Now we can talk about how the recent highs have come with a slightly different shot formula, a slightly different recipe for success, as you put it. And that's true. But around the league, people are going to look at the season long numbers. And even if the Rockets try and counter and say, okay, but look what he's done the last couple of weeks, he's figured it out. Any astute GM is going to say, okay, well, here's a two-week stretch. Remember at the end of his rookie year, we had that 30-point streak, including a 40-point game. The last six, seven games at the end of the season, we thought that was, you know, him just taking off. And by year two, he was going to be, you know, a 25-plus points per game scorer, potentially on good efficiency. We've seen these stretches before. So even if the shot diet is a little bit different, I don't buy that that's that it's going to be enough for NBA teams to value him at a much higher level. So my personal opinion is that especially because even though we've talked a lot about this being potentially a contract extension offseason for him there's not that much downside in holding him until the 2025 offseason letting him go into restricted free agency which is you know comically tilted in the direction of teams with those players since they can match any offer and typically it leads to friendly deals for the team so for me the upside is simply keeping Jalen and trying to figure this out. Now, with that said, it does not surprise me that the Rockets would put out feelers simply because I say all of that to describe the league as a whole, but all it takes is one team. If one team, for whatever reason, really buys in, and we have had some great quotes from opposing coaches the last week, for example, we heard Chauncey Billups go out of his way, the Portland coach, say he still believes that Jalen could be a star. We heard um, Darvin Ham refer to Jalen as part of the three-headed monster. So, who knows? Maybe there is one team, one coach that really believes in Jalen. That's all it takes. And in that scenario, if you are getting properly compensated, you have to consider it because the Rockets are going to be approaching very soon a rotation log jam. I think it's clear at this point, you have got to play Cam Whitmore. He is ready. Yet what's going to happen when Tari Eason comes back? You've already bumped Aaron Holiday from the rotation pretty much. I don't think he played at all against the Lakers, his first DMP since I think the first week of the season. So you've already bumped one guy from the rotation just to make room for Cam in a period where Tari is out. So what's going to happen once Tari comes back and you want to eventually get him up to 25, 30 minutes per game? Now, rather than trade Jalen, my preference and my gut tells me that this is how it will work out. You can trade a Jay Sean Tate in the second year, second to last year of his contract, or maybe even a Jeff Green if you acquire a backup center in some other deal, as we were talking about earlier. And that's much more manageable, and you can sort of slide Cam into your rotation by doing that. That's how you can carve out the minutes. But it is going to be difficult to give Cam what he needs. And so theoretically, if some team was to value Jalen at a high level and make you an offer you can't refuse and you know in the back of your mind if you're Rafael Stone that Cam is the truth, he is legitimate and we've got to find a way to get him more minutes, then yeah, you would have to at least consider no matter what he shows cashing out on Jalen Green if you believe in Cam as much or maybe even more. You, know, you can certainly make that argument based on what he's shown you in recent games. So I think with that in mind, you can't rule out a Jalen trade. It makes sense to at least leave the door open. But I just think from a value perspective, there's much more upside to keeping him and hoping that, you know, he's truly found something here and simply moving a more moderate piece, a guy like Jay Sean Tate or Jeff Green to clear those minutes for Cam. It's just because Cam is coming on, I do think that 
whether it's Shalen or someone else, and it'll probably be someone else, you do have to open the door to the Rockets perhaps being a seller because you are going to need to consolidate minutes and free up a rotation spot in some way because, again, it's not easy. You know, Cam had that great game against the Lakers. He only played 18 minutes. It's tough to find those minutes consistently. So even without Tari Eason, it's difficult. So what happens when Tari comes back? Again, my guess is it's something on a much smaller scale, but you just can't rule out a Jalen trade. And, you know, I, I know I'm sort of going in circles here because I let off by saying I disagree with you and then sort of throwing out the caveat that <laughs> that all it takes is one team. That's true, but it's just gunned to my head. I doubt that team is going to be out there to value him at that level. You know, it's- While possible, I, I just don't see it. I think at what's likely to be offered for Jalen as a guy that for year three as a whole has still been underwhelming. To me, there's much more upside simply by keeping Jalen and seeing if he's actually found something going into the back half of this year and eventually year four. You know, yeah, it's it's actually really funny because Madison made the argument the other day when we were kind of discussing, like, do you do you move Jalen? Do you not? Whatever. In, in discussions for, like, would you trade Jalen for, like, Quentin Grimes? And I we both very firmly said no. Um, no. But the reasons we said no is, right, because you look at Jalen, you're like, the, the upside is still there, right? Like, if, if he unlocks his actual potential, right, if he reaches even – 60% of his potential. He is a far and away better than player than, than Quentin Grimes is because Quentin Grimes is, is what he, he is what he is. He's a three and D wing. Right. Um, right. So, but for me, I think the confidence comes from that. The discussion that we've already had, which is the, the, the recipe feels like it's changing or has changed. And if there's a, if there's a higher floor there now for Jalen to be successful in earlier arguments this season that I had against why Jalen either should be benched or, um, you know, move to a six man role or whatever. It was always because yes, he's made strides. He's improved as a defender. He's improved as a playmaker. He's, he's improved in all these other areas, but he's still too far, too, far and away too inconsistent as a scorer. The one thing that he's supposed to be able to do right. is supposed to be an alpha level scorer. And, if he is able to have now a floor version of himself where yes, okay, the shot might not be falling, but he can still get you an efficient 18 to 20 points because he's driving and getting downhill and attacking and finishing at the rim, changing tempo, getting to the free throw line. If those things are permanent and here to stay, then yeah, maybe he's never a superstar. Maybe he's never even an all-star, but if that's the player that you can get is a, is a guy who is a downhill threat who can create for his teammates and defend at a decent level and rebound and use his athleticism and all these different things that we're seeing over this small sample size, then that is a guy that is absolutely worth keeping. Even if, you know, even if you keep him and maybe you do switch up his role later on, whatever um, you keep him, you revisit the contract, you know, extension discussions this off season and push comes to shove. Maybe then you just let him walk to restricted free agency. Right. And, and he continues to right. ball out and maybe yeah. he does find a three point shot next season. And then he looks like the total package and some team runs along and wants to offer him the bag. And guess what? You match the contract because at that point, yeah, you gambled a little bit and maybe you lose out and now you're paying top dollar for a guy that you could have gotten on a slightly more team-friendly deal had you extended him before his fourth season in the NBA. But I think that's a gamble that at this point with what you've seen from Jalen Green so far that you're willing to take. And if he makes it work and he makes you pay the price because you know he actually found himself as a player and tapped into that stardom, then awesome. You live with that and you still got him locked down on a, on a great deal and you don't have to worry about losing him for nothing, whatever. I just... I'm glad that we have this kind of 
little resurgence from Jalen Green because if it if yeah. he hadn't hit this little pocket of success before the trade deadline, conversations were going to get really rough around Jalen Green going into the trade yeah, deadline of okay, absolutely. Get, get whatever you can for him, cut bait while you can. He's you know uh, people people have been talking about oh is he approaching bust territory like all that. I wasn't quite there. Um, and I'm glad that we're seeing him like actually turn it around in what we think is a sustainable, yeah. successful pattern. Yeah. The other point that I think we should make is that it takes some humility to change your game and change your approach on the fly. It takes some humility not to get down on yourself when the coaching staff puts together a montage, which it sounds like they did, of him not competing on the glass. And so the fact that even as a f- former number two overall pick, and I'm sure at various points he's thought highly of himself, and that's part for the course with any highly drafted player in the NBA, for him to have the humility to actually take these lessons and learn from them and listen to what Ime Udoka and the coaching staff are telling and showing him, that shows you that he's good. At, he's got a good head on his shoulders, that he is still willing to listen. And if you combine the athletic gifts with a willingness to explore new approaches and try different ways, then there's got to be something there. It may take changing the formula to get there, to get that higher floor version that we've been talking about. But at this point, you've got to consider it. And obviously the organization needs to be willing to do it, not just think about the ceiling, but also think about the floor, but also requires the player to do it. And it sounds like he's in the right headspace to try some new things. And I think that speaks well to him and why you should consider again for me i would just frame a lot of this reporting the way it sounds like to me as due diligence everyone knows a couple of things about the rockets they do need some consolidation moves because eventually they need to play both cam whitmore and ben thompson more they are probably going to make be it this offseason next season the year after that they're going to make a mega trade at some point and so they need to stockpile assets for that Rockets have never been afraid to bring in big name players to Houston. We've heard various rumors as far as their targets, Zion, those types of names over the years. And so you add all that together. And yeah, it's easy to see with Jalen in year three, underwhelming a bit saying, yeah, maybe this is a guy that, that they explore moving because it's not like he's playing at a super high level. All it takes is one team, blah, blah, blah. Sure. It's possible. And they do have an in-house replacement at Cam Whitmore. So it's sort of like connecting the dots. I do see, I think a lot of people are just trying to, I guess, put two and two together and assuming that, well, because of these factors, it makes sense for them to explore moving him and they need to consolidate the roster anyway. I just think the bottom line is that when it comes to actually getting a deal done, there's more upside from keeping Jalen and seeing the upside that we've seen in the past week than what I think is likely to be there in those deals. And for a team that needs more hymns, to me, the proper decision, barring an extraordinary offer, is to stay the course and gamble on Jalen's talent simply because I think the upside there is more than whatever they could hypothetically get in one of these trades. Jalen's got a good head on his shoulders from everybody that I've spoken to, you know, organizationally about him, about the work that he puts in, the hours that he puts in outside of what we see, you know, at practice that, you know, early mornings, long nights coming in and just working on a shot. Dylan Brooks talked about this the other yep. day, post game. Dylan Brooks, a guy who has, you know, is, is very much a student of the game and very much prides himself on, on what he believes is, you know, basketball excellence and, um, 
a guy who is who follows a very strict kind of code of conduct as far as just how he conducts himself and the the uh, kind of standards that he sets for himself and for his teammates. So to receive that praise from Dylan Brooks, right? Um, you know, Jalen's he's very he's a very teachable kid, and and that that's yep. never been in question. And I do think that you know the Rockets coaching staff maybe their approach with him was a little wrong for the first half of the season. Maybe it took them. Maybe that was a committed you know, gesture from there. Hey, we're going to try, try it one way with you for like half the season. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to switch it up and we're going to try doing some things differently. Um, So seeing that adaptability on both sides, both from the coaching staff perspective and from uh, Jalen's perspective, him being able to adapt on the fly is, is that's encouraging stuff to see. So on that note, if you feel, let us know how you feel about Jalen Green at this point. You know, after this recent stretch of games, do you think the Rockets should sell high on Jalen Green? Do you think that they should hold on to him past the deadline and see if he's really tapped into something new over this most recent stretch of games? Do you think the Rockets should trade for Time Lord? Uh, even though he's not able to play this season, if you're watching, if you're listening, let us know in the YouTube comments. But Ben, you know the drill. Let everybody know where they can track you down at. Yep, Ben Dubose at Twitter slash X, the Rockets Wire, the logger line on the same, and RocketsWire.usatoday.com for all your daily Houston Rockets news coverage. And especially over the next week, the trade deadline is a little over a week away, Thursday, February 8th. We're going to be doing daily roundups of all the rumors out there. So in the days leading up to the trade deadline, I would think that Sunday, Monday of next week is when the talks really start to pick up and the rumors are really flying from reporters around the league. Your one-stop shop for aggregation of that content, rocketswire.usatoday.com. That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing whether you listen to your podcast or on YouTube. Just search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.